Welcome, viewers and listeners, to the Total Football Analysis EPL Podcast. We are the Thinking Fans Podcast. Each week, we get together with our besties, who are current pro players, real coaches, academics, and stat heads. In the end, we want to leave you with a few thoughtful, hot takes about football. Today, I'm joined by Coach David, Yes I Am, Yes I Can Seymour, who works on scouting reports in the day and trains starlets in the early evening. I'm also joined by Harshel Patel, dancer and the engine room chief of the world's largest football analytics community. Finally, I'm joined by Dre Fortune, a box-to-box midfielder who has the best name in U.S. football. He has developed a knack for seeing and making creative passes that no one else imagines. He is the fortune teller. I'm Chris. I'm host Chris Mumford, known as the professor, Bella Chow. Well, we've had an up and down week since the resumption of play. Someone needs to tell Lester that the season has restarted. They've only been able to take two out of six points this week. Chelsea, on the other hand, has decided to go to town against Aston Villa and Man, and Man City to take six points. They were led by the American soccer Jesus, Christian Pulisic. Timo Werner may want to reconsider trading Chelsea Blue back for Liverpool Red. Man U was able to pick up four points out of six against difficult sides Tottenham and Sheffield United. The Wolves feasted on ham, cherries, and lions by winning against West Ham, Bournemouth, and Aston Villa. Tottenham's making a modest case for a Europa League spot by taking four points out of six. Sheffield is going the wrong direction, having tied with relegation-bound Aston Villa, as well as lost to Newcastle. And Arsenal, oh, Arsenal, picked up only three out of a potential nine points. They are whopping nine points below the Champions League spot. And we have some FA Cup action that we'll talk about later in the podcast. So that's all the big news of what happened this week. Wait a minute. There's something else that happened. I'm not sure if it's been covered enough, but Liverpool has won the Premier League. After an absolute thrashing of Crystal Palace, 4-0, they got a lot of help from their friend Chelsea, who defeated Man City. Let's turn our attention to Liverpool's win in coronation. What can we add that hasn't already been said? David, can you start us off? I mean, that's a good question. What can you add that hasn't already been said? Um, I think that, I think, I think for me, the, the big thing to talk about is just the, the presence of Klopp. I think you can talk about the brilliance of the players, the brilliance of the system. Um, and I think it just, I've been so impressed with, with Klopp and uh, his man management style. I think he really has. Um, I think there's been a lot of discussion about which which kind of man management style is so important with coaching, and um, I mean, as 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 early as sort of almost ten years ago, we saw Mourinho being incredibly successful with a pretty similar cutthroat uh, approach to what we saw with Sir Alex Ferguson, for example. And now we've seen Klopp as this very humble, uh, relaxed individual. He is totally bought into the culture of the Liverpool Football Club and the city itself. And um, and it seems to be just a change in dynamic. And I, I think, as we're seeing across Europe, I think that that's a coaching style you're going to see a lot of coaches over the next five to ten years. Nice. Harshal, what are your takes? Yeah, I agree with uh, what David said. I think um, Klopp obviously has had a huge impact there. He's uh, won the Champions League. He 
got Liverpool to the final of the Champions League before they actually won it as well. They won the Premier League now as well, and they, and it looks like um, much like how United Manchester United had a sort of consistent period of success under under Alex. Um, it does look like Liverpool are in a position where they can, uh, if not, ex- I mean, I don't think they can exactly replicate that sort of sustained success, but they are certainly going to be around for the next half a decade, I think, maybe at least in terms of being in the top uh, positions and uh, challenging for honours all across, you know, in Europe and in uh, and domestically, and that's down to Klopp and not just Klopp. I'd say also the, the, some of the transfer business they've done has been phenomenal. Um, they they recognized the weaknesses that were there in the squad. Got Allison and Van Dijk in, and that sort of uh, taken the team to the next level, and has basically been one of the biggest reasons why um, they've managed to win the title this year. And nice. they've been so far ahead of the crowd. So yeah, Drew, I'm sorry, Dre. What what's your take on on Liverpool? Yeah, I mean, I I agree with all that. I think that's all spot on. Um, it's been spearheaded by Klopp. They have a very potent front three and industrious midfield and a very solid back line. And I think um, over the next few years, we're going to see them competing to to continue to win the Premier League as much as they can. That's what they've been looking for the, for the last, you know, three decades or something like that. And, and I think they're happy to have that now and they're going to keep pushing for that and pushing for Champions League and they're going to be a strong team coming out of England. You know, I know this storyline has been talked about a bit, but, uh, you know, Henry, uh, the owner of Liverpool, really took Moneyball, um, which Billy Bean, of course, um, made famous and uh, applied it to the Boston Red Sox and, uh, and, and then subsequently has, has applied it to Liverpool. And I, I think the approach is, is pretty balanced. I think it's a common, at least what sources tell me is that it's a combination of scouting and analytics and one isn't better than the other. It's just they're different tools, right? And really, if you look at the, the squad balance in terms of age, um, they seem to have really thought things out. And the second thing is I'm really impressed with how fiscal, fiscally responsible they've done this. If you look over the last five years, they've had a net spend per season of only 18.5 million pounds per, uh, per I mean, that's a per season rate, which compares to Man City's 101 million pounds uh, over per season over the last five years. Man U's 75 million pounds. Arsenal is 50 million pounds. Even West Ham's nets have been 31 million pounds per season. So the fact that Liverpool has been able to do this um, very modestly. Now, they did have a a, a big chip they sold, Coutinho, uh, and it, it, ha- it, it helps to have someone that's willing to overpay like Barcelona to do that. But, you know, they, they played their cards right on that. I will tell you the the other piece, um, you know, and, and as I get older, it, it's great to see Klopp just really display the emotion, right? You know, he's a hugger and, uh, you know, he's not afraid to cry when he wants to cry, right? I mean, when you saw the other night, he had to leave the uh, interview earlier because he got so emotional. And, and I just, I think that vulnerability really is important for obviously uh, winning respect in 2020 and i think uh the players buy into the whole thing i mean they the level of intensity they've been able to keep for such a long period of time is is really impressive so um so let's go ahead and 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 move on to um you know the liverpool palace game uh you know real quickly 
my sense is, is that it, it wasn't a competition. It was a performance. Liverpool kind of got their mojo back. Um, they beat um, folks um, in, in different ways in terms of set pieces. Um, they've seemed to have almost perfected the, uh, the diagonal um, crosses uh, into play. And even Salah was doing a one-touch diagonal um, pass that, that really seemed to uh, – that, that led to a goal. And it just – it's really fun to see that. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how the rest of the season plays out and if any youngsters get some more time. But, but let's go ahead and, and turn our, our attention to uh, other uh, uh, matches that happened earlier in the week. Uh, David, can you walk us through the Leicester-Brighton match? Yeah, sure. I mean, you mentioned in the, in the introduction that Leicester have obviously struggled since the restart. And, and to be fair, we spoke about this in the podcast a few weeks ago that we were expecting them to drop off um, a little bit in terms of performance, and, and that's been the case. Um, Brighton have been really impressive since the restart. And unfortunately for myself as a West Ham fan, I think they pulled themselves away from that relegation battle. I think you'll need a very low point total to stay up. And they're on, I want to say, 33 right now. Is that right? 33 points. Um, but uh, maybe maybe one more win and they might be safe. I, I don't see the likes of West Ham, Watford, Villa winning a, a lot of games. So, um, yeah, I mean, both teams set up in a 4-4-2. And, and what you really saw was Brighton just nullified Leicester's counter-attacking threat. And they sat in deep, very difficult to break down. And, um, and rightfully earned, earned a point, despite giving up a lot of possession. Nice. Um, Harshal, what, what was your take on the, um, the Sheffield United-Man U match? I was actually really happy with how United played um, because it's, it's these kind of games where the team has struggled a bit against some of the smaller teams. But it was a really good clinical performance. Anthony Martial got a hat-trick, which I think... I mean, I hope that this will be the sort of trigger that gets him to get uh, become a lot more consistent. He's got, I think, 19 goals in all competitions for the season now. So I'm hoping that this could be the sort of launch pad for him to get a lot more consistent in front of goal. Um, uh, I was really happy that Solskjaer started Mason Greenwood. He was lively he, he, and he combined well with the rest of the midfielders and uh, with the attackers. We saw Paul Pogba and Bruno Fernandes in action together from the start for the first time. And I think that partnership looked really good as well. There were teething issues, obviously. You will, they weren't exactly on the same wavelength at all times. But you could see glimpses of the partnership and glimpses in terms of how they could work together. Because Fernandes was the more advanced midfielder. Pogba was sitting deeper and feeding the balls through to him in that sense. So I think it was really good performance. Um, and uh, yeah, I was, I was really happy. As a United fan, but even otherwise, just generally looking at the side of play. Dre, what's your take on on kind of how that Pogba Fernandez midfield is coming together? That I really like watching, particularly Pogba. I really look up to him as as a player, and um, so to to see them both working together, I thought was it was really good for the first time, and I think it's going to present a, an issue for teams going forward. Obviously, um, I'm not a huge Man U fan, but uh, even even from that perspective, it was it was really nice to see them combine well and, and, you know, see Martial get his goals. He's been getting a lot of stick from the fans, uh, at least, you know, some of the ones I've been speaking to. So I thought, I thought overall it was a really good performance from them as well. And it was a, a step in the right direction at least. So, so you see that, that, that formation really starting to come together. You didn't, there are no kind of things that looked a little off or anything like that. Um, I mean, it, 
Sheffield United is, you know, they, they've they've done well this season. They've, you know, they've gotten some good results. But I, I think, I think I'm I'm more interested to see how that'll work against, you know, some of the some of the tougher opponents. You know, the Manchester City's, Chelsea's, Liverpool's, whatever. Um, obviously, there are going to be, you know, some issues here and there. Like, uh, like, uh, like Harshal said, it wasn't it wasn't 100 uh, percent perfect. But um, yeah, I think I think there are things that'll they'll sort through and 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 work on and be fine. Well, interesting um, note is that uh, Martial makes uh, more money than the entire Sheffield United payroll does. So, uh, you know, I, and I tell you, to me, that just shows what a fabulous job Sheffield United has done. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, I hate to sound stat speak, but they are, they do seem to be regressing to the mean, right? I mean, it seems like they really punched above their weight for much of the year. And now maybe they're kind of coming back to where is a more realistic um, position for them. So, um, well, let's turn our attention to the uh, Tottenham-West Ham game. David, can you walk us through that? Yeah, it, it was a pretty similar game to the West Ham Wolves game, really. Um, West Ham playing against a team that was better in possession than them. And, you, again, you can see that how much they miss a, a centre-forward, not having Sebastian out there again. So Antonio played up front again by himself, and he did a great job trying to compete for the ball, but he's not a centre-forward. Um, and then once again, it's just baffling to me that David Moyes can't see that he needs to play Pablo Fornals in a deeper role to make sure that there is better ball progression. Declan Rice did an okay job driving forward with the ball, but there wasn't really any penetration, certainly from a ball-playing perspective, uh, from centre midfield. And then with Tottenham, um, I mean, Harry Kane was certainly in the mood. I mean, he had enough shots, and, and I thought his finish at the end was very good. Um, they were, they were the better team. They didn't really have to step out of you know, second or third gear, to be honest with you. Um, it felt like a pretty routine win for Tottenham. And, and they've, had a, they've had a promising uh, restart to the season, so they'll be very pleased. Nice, nice. Um, Harshel, tell us what happened in the Wolves-Bournemouth game. Yeah, so, um, I mean, Wolves have been quietly impressive since the season restarted. I think they've won, they've had three clean sheets in their three games. They've won all three. So they've they've really put themselves back into the race for Champions League football because they're, they're ahead of United at the moment, honestly. They've played a game more, but they're ahead of United in the table at the moment. They're two points behind Chelsea. So they, they put themselves back in the reckoning and they did that against Bournemouth as well. It was a 1-0 win. It was it was a pretty scrappy game, to be very honest. And I think the fa- the, the weather had a lot to do with it. It was, it was a really hot day on the day when the game was played and the time at which the game was played. So you didn't really see a lot of fluency and a lot of um, good attacking moves being put together by either side. And Bournemouth were honestly quite defensive. They came out with like a 5-4-1 slash 4-5-1 hybrid. Um, and they were looking to play in like a mid-block and stop Wolves trying to penetrate through the centre. And that did succeed for about the first half or so. But they couldn't keep up the pressing intensity and... With, when you have Adama Traore, you just—I mean, if you manage—if he manages to get in behind the back line, I mean, you're not going to catch him. And that's basically what happened. He managed to get in behind, send a cross in, and all him and scored. And that was all that Wolves really needed. And Burnham didn't really create anything. They had an XG of 0.06 in the entire game, so they literally did not create any opportunities in that match. Right. So yeah, pretty routine win for. Right. So Bournemouth is going to be really struggling with with relegation at this point, and the Wolves are are, are quietly making the case that they should be in a Champions League position. Um, David, um, take us through the Chelsea Man City uh, match, which probably was the match of the week. Can Can you elaborate on that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it was interesting to see City. They they, they played without 
a traditional centre forward, no Aguero, nor Gab- no Gabriel Jesus. So Bernardo Silva was um, playing as a really a false nine. And I mean, there's even talk of Gundogan possibly playing as that going forward, which I'd be very interested to see how that turns out. Um, yeah, Ch- Chelsea had, had um, uh, sorry, not Chelsea, City had more possession and Chelsea hung in there. They had a, a really strong 4-1-4-1 mid-block defensively. And what was important was that we know how well City used the half spaces and Chelsea just stopped that um, almost entirely. So um, what you saw the wingers were tucking uh, in and specifically sitting inside the half space, pushing City wide. Um, and then when the balls worked wide, the fullbacks and centre-backs were able to come, at, come out wide because what we saw was N'Golo Kante would then drop into the defensive line, uh, take a central position and allow his uh, defensive teammates to be more aggressive, getting wide and uh, putting pressure on City. So City really struggles to get a lot of clear-cut chances. Um, I was really impressed with Chelsea. I think I'm going to put it out there and say that might be the best I've seen them play under Lampard or even potentially for a couple of seasons just in general. Um, I thought they were very good. They, City, City pressed in a 4-3-3 and initially they did quite a good job of stopping Kante getting in, in possession, but they left a lot of space on the flanks. I and mean, If you watched the game, you would have seen how well Chelsea used uh, the wide areas. We saw a lot of combinations in those areas. Um, we saw William, we saw Pulisic driving forwards, um, getting a lot of ball progression through dribbles. And they looked really dangerous. And, I mean, Chelsea had some great chances. The scoreline should have been much more than that, actually, was the expected goals. I think Chelsea had about 3.53. And I can't remember cities, but it was certainly under one. So um, it, was, it was a strong performance from Chelsea. And give them a lot of confidence going into the season. And, um, yeah, I was a little bit surprised because I... I've been impressed with City since the restart, but they really struggled. And, and all credit to Frank Lampard and Chelsea. Dre, what, what's, what was your take on, on the match? Yeah, um, I think I have a lot of similar opinions to that. I thought, you know, to start the game off, I thought um, I was expecting to see City, you know, in control of the possession and looking to create chances. And I thought that, you know, they had most of the possession. And then a couple errors from Mendy kind of just put the game out of balance a little bit, allowed Pulisic to go and score. I mean, uh, you know, the first mistake he made, okay, fair enough. And then he goes on to attempt to tackle and he's the last man halfway up the field, which I thought was quite interesting. But uh, yeah, I mean, definitely starting without a traditional center forward as well was, um, I think, showed to hurt them a little bit. There were a couple of times where they actually did manage to get into wide areas and Mendy in particular had two balls he put right across the six-yard box. One of them, the goalkeeper collected, the other one went all the way through that you would expect that the likes of Aguero or Jesus would have gotten on the end of. But uh, when you're playing with a false nine, who's more likely to go to, you know, towards the top of the box penalty spot area for a cutback, it's a little, a little bit different in those moments. But um, yeah, I thought Chelsea were really resilient and especially, you know, towards the end of the game, more so in the second half, they created a few chances that they were unable to capitalize on, but they got the important one. And um, that kind of just put the game out of reach, really. I mean, City, they never really looked like they were going to create anything, particularly through open play. I mean, the one goal they got was another brilliant individual effort from De Bruyne. But aside from that, there weren't really any clear-cut chances they were able to create in that in that game. Right. You know, I, I was really struck by, um, you know, there's a big debate on whether Pulisic is, a, is the real deal or not. And I just hope that, that this game kind of 
puts that to rest. I mean, consistency is going to be a wrong since the restart, hasn't he? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, and and it's just it's it, it's one thing, you know. He makes that extra run uh, and just puts a little pressure. There's a, a miscommunication, mm-hmm. and then he has he has the presence to draw Mindy in, and then Mindy takes a stab and he ta- and he hits the Jets right, and then. You know, one could argue that Ederson maybe came out a little too aggressively, but it, which is a little more old school style in a breakaway open like that. But I got to tell you, I think as a keeper, you want to make it, you're not going to be able to stop everything. You just want to make it as difficult as possible for the striker to finish. And Pulisic, to his credit, he had maybe about this much space to get past Ederson in, inside that, that post, and that's what he did. And yeah, he, so, he did everything right in that moment. Yeah, I mean, it, and it really kind of came down to some individual performances. And aesthetically, it was probably one of the most enjoyable games to watch, even though there weren't nearly as many clear-cut finishing opportunities. But it was just fun to see the build-up. It was very intentional, and it was very crisp, and it, it was fun to watch that. would have been nice to add a few more goals, but that's just me. But, um, you know... Um, it is what it is, and I look forward to seeing Chelsea evolve going forward. So let's let's switch our attention to to the FA Cup, um, and uh, there were some very interesting matches that have been played so far. Harshel, can you take us through the Man U Norwich game? Yeah, and this was uh, completely sort of on the other side of things with regard to how United played against Sheffield United. Um, so, she made eight changes to the lineup. So, I mean, some form of rustiness can be expected, but uh, you could see that there was a lack of um, that that sort of edge that you need in terms of a crea- of creativity. You had uh, one matter. You had Jesse Lingard on the pitch with United, and Lingard, to his credit, did go on. I mean, he did have a couple of half chances where he did sort of try and create stuff. He went on a mazy sort of run at one point through the first half to try and create something, but. United really struggled to create chances. Um, Igalo did well. He got he he's been good since he's been he came in on loan. He got his fifth goal, um, and it was like an instinct to finish. But uh, Norwich equalised as well. And then uh, I think what really played in United's favour was the fact that they got uh, Tim Closer got sent off towards the end of the second half, and then United sort of dominated extra time, and but weren't really able to get too many clear cut chances in. And by this time. They had made six sub- substitutions. Everybody was on. Like the, the cavalry had come onto the pitch, you know, Martial, Rashford, Pogba, Fernandez, and then yeah, it was just sort of a scruffy finish that Harry Maguire got in the end, and United went through, even though it, it looked like it was going to go down the penalties. So, I guess I mean job done. They they threw to the FA Cup semi-finals, but um, not really a great performance from United. And uh, I'm just going to put that down to the fact that the, the team was really very different to the one that played at at uh, against Sheffield United. So. Yeah, you take it. I mean, they went, they're, they're through to the semis, so that's what Solskjaer would have wanted. Well, I'll tell you this. Someone needs to pay Cruel some overtime because he's, he's the hardest working guy out on the pitch. Yeah, he made a couple of really good saves. I think there was a really good double save as well. And, and I'm going to be honest with you. I mean, you look at him and the way he moves and you're thinking, this guy can't be a real keeper, right? But he's, he's, he's big. He, he's not terribly agile. But uh, he plays all the angles right. Even though he's a very large keeper, he plays high high up and 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 um, protects the angles well. And he's just very good at anticipating. So um, I'm I'm hoping he's getting an extra paycheck for keeping keeping them close for that uh, for that match there. Um, 
Let's turn our attention to the uh, to the Arsenal Sheffield United. Dre, what, what were your thoughts on that match? Yeah, um, watching Arsenal coming coming out of the break, I was I've been disappointed with the first two results uh, in particular, and then I mean I was a little late to turn on the game this morning, and I had a notification on my phone they were down one nil, and uh, I almost decided not to turn it on, but I, I saw it was disallowed. So uh, yeah, I mean you know they 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 got a goal uh, to go ahead and. Usually in those moments, you'd, you'd expect the stronger team, which Arsenal is supposed to be, to, to hold on. And they did for most of the game. And it was just kind of, you know, a little bit of back and forth. But you could tell that it wasn't completely done with. And then before you know it, uh, it's 1-1 late on in the game. And fortunately, Ceballos came off the bench and, and was able to put them up 2-1. Aubameyang gets more rest because I'm sure he would have came on had, had the game gone to extra time or anything like that. And um, you know, through, through to the next round, it wasn't a great performance either in particular, but, uh, you know, happy to to get the win and, and move forward, I'm sure. Yeah, I will tell you, I found the game, for certainly the first half, mostly uninspiring, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you, mm-hmm. you get a PK, um, and then uh, w- what ends up happening is you, you, do, you do get the equalizer, and... Um, and then very late in the game, Ceballos is, is, is far out, very low angle. And Dean Henderson, who just made an awesome save on the six yep. um, to the lower uh, left-hand corner, ends up basically rushing out in a low angle. And Ceballos just passes the ball because um, Henderson wasn't set, right? And in those situations, as a keeper, you want to be low angle. You want to basically be upright uh, and really be more ready to take the deflection than anything. And he just gave up that lower pass in and game over. Right. So um, good win for, for Arsenal, a little, a, a bit of a heartbreak for Sheffield United, because this could have uh, put a nice little pop uh, at the end of their season, but it is what it is. And and, and we're going to go ahead and move on to the, the Chelsea Leicester game, which um, had some really uh, nice elements of elegance into that. Um, David, you want to walk us through that? Um, yeah, sure, absolutely. Um, yeah, I mean, I think we've 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 spoken a bit about, uh, I mean, already in this podcast about Chelsea and Leicester and, and how they've been faring since the restart. Um, and and really, I would sort of jump on what you were saying about uh, Pulisic earlier. I was really impressed with him in this game again. He had a, a really good chance to to finish before half time. Um, didn't quite take it. He decided to go for power rather than placement, but it was interesting to see him get into those attacking positions. And um, yeah, it was it was interesting first half. I thought Chelsea played a higher line than I would have expected them to, particularly uh, with the threat of Vardy and Barnes as well to an extent. And Leicester had some good opportunities in the first half. Couldn't quite get a, a clear cut opportunity. Um, it still felt Chelsea had the the, the better chances, but. Um, Second half, Chelsea seemed to rectify that. I thought Leicester were a lot quieter, and, and we saw Lampard bring on three substitutes at halftime. So clearly, he wasn't uh, impressed with what he saw in the first half. But uh, nevertheless, I, I thought Chelsea Chelsea did well. I think I think um, I, I think that the FA Cup could be one for them this season. I'm interested to see how the likes of Chelsea and United do in this competition because I think both those teams are coming into a, a nice bit of form at the right time. And um, yeah, it was a slow start from Chelsea, but they got, they got the result and, and deserved to be in the semi-final, in my opinion. Right, and and I do I will have to say I mean I was so impressed that goal by Barkley, just 
absolutely first rate. First rate um, uh, pass in, but then him being able to have, to finish that with speed as he did. Uh, you know, I, I will tell you another thing. I'm sorry for goalkeeper geeking out, but seeing Schmeichel being able to 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 hit people on the chest ten or fifteen year, yards past midfield is, you know, uh, him and Ederson are 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 taking my. Uh, distribution eye candy uh, award of the year so far. Um, so big, big fan of uh, Schmeichel's performance today on that, even though he came on the wrong end. Um, so Dre, uh, we got Man City and, and Newcastle. That's uh, we, we're either either previewing or, or doing concurrently. <laughs> what, what do you expect out of this game? Just out of- uh, yeah, I briefly looked at the lineup before, before we got on and um, Pep is definitely looking to win the FA Cup this year, I think. I mean, he's he's not taking them lightly at all. Uh, put a very strong 11 out, and I just anticipate Manchester City being at home, just dominating the possession, and hopefully for them creating loads of chances and, and looking to score a few goals. Uh, don't really see it going any other way, but Newcastle's going to try their best, obviously, to kind of deny them those those little half spaces they like to play in and deny that isolations uh, in wide areas 1v1. and and look to catch them on the break, I'm sure. Nice. Well, let's turn our attention to uh, to next week. Um, on Tuesday, we've got Brighton and Man U playing against each other. Harshal, how is that game going to feature, especially given how busy Man U have been in the last uh, four or five days? Well, I think um, Socha used the FA Cup game well. As I said earlier, he made eight changes, so he's given um, the key players the rest that they needed, even though the game went into extra time. And I expect to see... I, I think it'd be the same team that played against Sheffield United lineup against Brighton. And that'd be interesting because I think um, the way Nemanja Matic played in the game against Sheffield United is really crucial to allowing Pogba and Fernandes the freedom that they got in the final third. Because he was dropping into the defensive line and forming like a back three along with uh, Maguire and uh, Lindelof. So that was giving Pogba the freedom to then go up the pitch towards sort of the middle third and be able to create from there. And Fernandes was also obviously getting the freedom to be towards um, the opposition's box. And there were a lot of really good sort of one-touch flicks and um, moves that Fernandez was trying to do, which didn't pay off for the first goal that United scored. So I think um, Matic is, is going to be key to allowing those two to play together in if they play in a 4-2-3-1, which I think they will. And as for Brighton, um, as David said earlier, they've been they've been pretty decent since the restart. They've, and I, I don't think they're going to be in too much trouble. They're five points clear of uh, West Ham, so I don't think they're going to be in relegation trouble. But uh, I think Graham Potter will want to, again, use this game to sort of take the team ahead in terms of the tactical evolution that they've had. And uh, it it won't be easy. It will certainly not be easy for United. And uh, I think it'll be an interesting game. I really think it'll be an interesting game. Good, good. So, David, um, West Ham's going to be facing Chelsea uh, right when Chelsea's in such good form. What's your take on that match? I think um, <laughs> I'm not expecting anything from West Ham in that game. Again, it doesn't look like Ada is going to be fit for that. So I would imagine it'll be another relatively routine win um, for Chelsea there. I will say this. Antonio had one game uh, either last season or the season before where he played up front as a lone forward against Chelsea and caused them all kinds of problems. Um, they, they didn't respect him enough and they left space in behind. Now, if they did the same thing they did with Vardy, today in the first half and they leave that space behind, there's a chance that West Ham could catch a goal 
on the break, but I just don't think West Ham are defensively strong enough. And I think they're going to have real problems, particularly with Pulisic. If he's playing on that left side against, I mean, we've seen the problems of West Ham have had a right back all season, not just since the restart. Um, I think that could be a really bad matchup. So I would think comfortable Chelsea. Will. Well, both of those matches have uh, significant implications, both for Champions League spot as well as relegation. Um, let's turn our attention, um, Harshell, to the Tottenham-Sheffield uh, United match. What, what do you think is going to happen there? Um, so Spurs have been, um, I mean, they drew with United and they won against West Ham. So they've done decently enough since they came back. But uh, this, again, has the potential to be a decent game because... Uh, I mean, as even though Sheffield are sort of in a bit of a downward spiral since the restart, I think they are they have enough of um, a well-drilled system and enough of um, a tact, sort of tactical. Uh, I'd say they, 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 they've done well enough this season for me to say that Spurs could have problems against them. If not in their own defense, they they might struggle to break them down. Even though they have Harry Kane and uh, Son back, we know how Mourinho plays, right? So I mean, I, I I'm not too sure if Spurs will be able to break down that Sheffield United defence, even though they have had some trouble since the restart. So, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. We've also had reports over, since the restart and I mean, since Mourinho came in that um, he's had issues with Tango and Dombele and that, that Ndombele might leave in the summer, which I think would be a big mistake because I think he has that sort of ability to progress the ball from midfield which Spurs don't have, which they haven't had since Moussa Dembele left. And I think he'd ideally be a really good fit for this game, to play in this game, because he'd be able to break the lines. But I don't know if Mourinho will start him or uh, even play him at any point during the game. So it remains to be seen. Um, I it, It'll be a close game, I think. So, I guess as as I look at the uh, the schedule, I've put a, a, red, a red circle around the uh, Liverpool-Man City uh, game. Dre, can you uh, can you give us your thoughts on that match? Yeah, I mean, these two teams and their their managers have given us some pretty entertaining matches over the last you know couple of years. Um, as far as the table goes, there's really not much to play for. Obviously, Liverpool's already won the league. Uh, City hasn't secured the second spot yet, but you don't really imagine them giving that up. So it really just comes down, you know, the, the competitive spirit that the two the two sets of players have and. Liverpool have all sorts of records to play for in terms of, you know, most points, uh, most wins, that kind of stuff. And City, obviously, are not going to be happy about just giving up the trophy to them. So I think it's going to be a, a, another entertaining kind of back-and-forth game. Hopefully, you know, lots of chances, lots of lots of uh, spells of possession and, pre- and pressing and stuff like that. And just really entertaining watch for, you know, both the fan and, and the neutral viewer. Very nice. Um, so... Herschel, Man U's going to have to turn around and, and, and play Bournemouth, uh, which again has big implications um, as the Wolves are, are coming, are breathing down Man U's neck and Bournemouth wants to stay above relegation. What are the key features to that? Going by how Bournemouth play, played, uh, played against Wolves, uh, I'd expect them to again set up in like, a mid, uh, in like a mid block and try to frustrate United being able to get those spaces that Fernandez, Pogba, even Rashford sort of drifts into centrally at times and they'd look to deny them that space. Um, the quick turnaround could be a factor given that uh, obviously these guys have come back from three months or more away from action and they're having to play these many matches. So I expect to see a bit of rotation there. I mean, I hope there's, there's no injury concerns and all of that, but there is a bit of a risk of all of that sort of coming into the game as well. Uh, and in terms of tactics, 
as I said, I it, it comes down to individual quality. I think uh, Pogba and Fernandez, if they continue to play together and hone their understanding, I don't think Burnmouth will be able to stop them. But at the same time, as we've seen throughout the season, United have struggled against teams with sit deep. And this could be a potential banana skin in terms of drop points for United if Burnmouth are able to pull off their defensive strategy. Interesting. So I guess the other match that I've I've put a at least a, a red check mark next to is is the Wolves Arsenal match, David. Um, that's got some potential drama there, or it could continue to see the uh, the train continuing to wreck with Arsenal. Uh, what do you think is going to happen in that match? How are they going to uh, clash? Do you know what? Actually, I'm I'm going to go against you there, Chris, and say that I'm expecting that one to be a bit of a dull affair. Um, Interesting. I've listen. I've been impressed with Wolves in terms of being pretty fun, functionable since coming back. They, they've been effective against some poor teams. If I'm honest with you, their goals seem to have come from defensive areas, and we've seen that from Arsenal um, laps in concentration. But that there has there's not a huge amount of potency at the moment from that Wolves attack, mm-hmm. and I just feel that enough time is passing where Arsenal are going to start at least beginning to tighten up that defence a little bit more. Um, I, honestly, I, I, would, I would put a very tight game, a nil-nil or possibly one of those teams will, will nick it, but I'm not expecting fireworks in that game. Interesting. Interesting. Well, time will tell. Um, why don't we have a quick look uh, as there are a lot of implications uh, with respect to uh, relegation and promotion. You've left, you've left that to- Tottenham's Spelling them there just to wind me up, haven't you, Chris? <laughs> <laughs> it's the Amer- it's the American way of spelling spelling. <laughs> so, uh, so have a look at the uh, the strength of schedule here, uh, real quickly. I mean, a- as we talked about at the top of the podcast, uh, Lester um, kind of left some points on the table. Um, that being said, uh, you know they've got a a fairly comparatively easy schedule to get into except for Man U um, last game of the season. Uh, Chelsea is starting to look really nice, right? I mean, Liverpool, uh, uh, they're going to have to cover Wolves. um, But have a look at Man U. Uh, Those guys, you know, they they took care of business against what they thought were going to be two fairly difficult teams and, and walked away with four points. And they have Leicester at the end of the season. Um, but they have a, a lot of green light specials um, along the way. Um, as far as Wolves go, they do have a game in hand, um, and they took care of business, um, as we talked about earlier. Um, they're going to have to go against Ar- Arsenal and Sheffield United, um, as well as deal with Chelsea at the end. Um, Tottenham uh, is has got a bit of work to do. They're minus seven points in terms of getting to Champions League. I think they should be grateful if, if they make it into Europa. Uh, it would be what my sense would be. Um, Sheffield has a lot of work ahead of them. They've probably got uh, the most difficult schedule, along with Arsenal. They are nine points below Champions League. Uh, and, um, you know, they've got Leicester and Liverpool to play, um, as well as Tottenham and Wolves. So, um Hard to imagine that they're going to be able to pick up uh, three games over um, the folks above them on that. 
so key takeaway, Man U and Wolves seems to have um, one of the easier schedules. Arsenal, Sheffield, which unfortunately are at the bottom of this list, seem to have the most difficult. Um, Harshel, you got any, any observations on this? No, I agree with all of that. And I think um, we might just see, as we've been talking about on the podcast, the whole Leicester story unraveling a little bit. Um, Chelsea are just two points. Uh, sorry, Chelsea are just a point behind them now. You know, and uh, you could see, I, I wouldn't be surprised if Chelsea are ahead of Leicester at the end of the season. And uh, both United and Wolves have easy looking schedules as well. So it could be a battle between Leicester, United and Wolves for all, you know, for that fourth spot and potentially fifth spot as well because um, at the moment, the team that finishes fifth will go into the Champions League because City are banned. So, I, 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 Leicester, I think, will play in the Champions League next season, but they, I don't think they're going to finish third. I think Chelsea will pick them to third place based on the schedule and the form that both teams have. And then it'll be a fight between United, Wolves and Leicester for fourth and fifth. How about you, David? What are your thoughts on this? Yeah, I think that's interesting from Harshal. Um, I, I agree with what you're saying about the schedules. I think Leicester are going to hold on. It's interesting, if we talk about whether Chelsea catch Leicester, let's just say, then that, that, there's an argument to be had about even Manchester United. So, but I think when, before we the season restarted, we spoke about Leicester are surely too too far ahead. And, you know, only a week or two later, and we're looking at them and we're going, um... Okay, those teams around them are are starting to to pick up some form at the right time. So, yeah, we'll see. Um, I still do think that Leicester will, will hold on, and I think out of those ones, yeah, Chelsea have got a a, a nice run in, and I know that they've got to play Liverpool uh, there. But I mean, we, we've said this as well already that if you if you want to play the champions, the best time to play them is when they've got nothing left to play for. So. Um, I'm looking at Chelsea's run, and, and yeah, that's that's a really nice uh, nice run, and they've got that. Right, right. Well, let's kind of uh, turn our attention to uh, Dre. What what are some of the things that that you're you looking for as the season uh, starts to? Uh, we've got basically three and a half, four weeks left. You know, what are some storylines that that you you're going to be following and you're going to care most about? Um, I think. Uh, I was reading the other day about Liverpool chasing um, some of the most wins. I, I, I think I'm going to be interested to see that, interested to see what their point total finishes as. Um, obviously, as, as an Arsenal supporter, I'm going to be interested to see kind of where they fall. I think the top four discussion is, is really interesting. Um, I, I like how Chelsea's going at the moment in terms of pushing for that, for that third spot, and it'll be really interesting to see how the top four finishes out. But uh Aside from that, it's kind of, uh, I don't really like when the league is finished this early in terms of, you know, knowing who the champion is. But, um, yeah, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be interesting to see how, how all these spots kind of play out. Right. Harshal, how about yourself? Uh, what, what are some storylines that you're going to be following in the next few weeks? Yeah. Well, I mean, everything that Drew said that about the Liverpool sort of race to get some of those records away from City and get the wins and the points records. Uh, the race for the top four in Champions League looks like it's going to go down to the wire. I think that game that Chelsea have against Bulls on the last day of the season could be a big one in terms of deciding who ends up in the Champions League for both teams. And uh, in terms of the relegation battle, I think it's it's becoming a bit more clear now. I, I think Norwich are done. I don't really see them coming back. Villa, Burnmouth, West Ham and now Watford have 
really not been able to get themselves away as well. So you know, so it's and I think Dean Smith um, was the one who said this. I think last week or something that it's really a mini tournament between the four of them at the bottom of the table. And I think they've got games against each other left as well, and those are going to be hugely important. So I'll be looking on to see how that works out because it it is uh, Norwich, Aston Villa, and Burnmouth in the drop zone at the moment, but West Ham and Watford are not out of danger yet. So, right. How about you, David? What's what are what are the lines you're looking at? You, you know what I'm going to be looking at, Chris. I'm obviously <laughs> going to be looking at that relegation battle. Yeah. Um, I think I'll be looking at West Ham's form particularly. I'm, I'm maybe saying this rather hopefully, but if I look at the run-ins, I don't know if they're going to get another win the rest of the season. Uh, that's a really nasty run-in that they've got there. And um, yeah, I'm looking at, I'm looking at uh, what David Moyes is going to do to turn that West Ham team around, what Sebastian Aller can do when he comes back in. Hopefully we'll play with a, a front two and, and things will get better. Um, yeah, so that, that's really what I'm going to be <laughs> keeping an eye on. I don't really care about what's going on in the rest of the table. I'm looking at that that bottom five and um, it's, it's, it's on my mind constantly, if I'm honest with you. So I, I guess my take is, you know, in previous podcasts, we've talked about this is basically a new season and there were going to, there are going to be some things that happen that we just didn't necessarily see coming. Uh, and I think that's definitely going to happen. You know, Sheffield and Arsenal kind of going the wrong way. Uh, Chelsea and the Wolves uh, really starting to, to move up the table. Leicester starting to slide. Uh, which again we thought was more or less insurmountable. I was thinking about removing them off that table. Uh, I thought they were going to be so high. Um, so that's going to be really interesting. You know, I can't help but start thinking a little bit about um, where gaps need to be filled on teams, even though we got three weeks. But keep in mind this this season wraps up in three weeks or so, and then we've got some Champions League. We got a month, and then we're back in business again, right? So everyone's going to have to move. And I'm hearing that the um, transfer deadline will probably go until October. So that'll throw some, uh, some wrench and some works uh, with respect to uh, adding personnel. Um, so I, I think of Arsenal and the, the train wreck that it is and what needs to be done to fix that. Right. And um, you know how I, I think things like the Louise signing indicates they're really thinking, wow, it's going to be hard for us to get some real talent in here. We need to sign folks we know to help us get through the next year or so. Um, you know, Sheffield United, uh, you know, their 12 or 13 uh, million pound uh, budget has, has stand the, the test of time for this season. What do they need to do for, ne for next season? So I know it's a little early to start talking about those things, but, you know, I just – I can't help but but start to wonder because you're starting to see the real gaps. And I think in three weeks, there are going to be some soft soft tissue injuries that are going to really fuss things up just because it's just, it's just a lot of games in a little bit of time. So uh, we'll kind of see how all that plays out. So, um, yeah, so that's, that's uh, uh, what I think we've got for the podcast today. We've covered a lot of games. Um, We've previewed a fair number, and they're going to continue to go fast and furious. Uh, so please join us. Um, we'd like to thank Total Football Analysis, the world's largest open source soccer analyst community. Please visit www.totalfootballanalysis.com. For now, bella ciao, bella ciao, ciao, ciao. 